how to generate the highest income with your RIA. That is today's question on the Transition to RIA question and answer series. It is episode number 69. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RA model. Uh, if you're not already there, if you head over to transitiontoria.com, uh, you can find all of the resources I make available from the video series, podcast series, I have articles, I have white papers, all kinds of resources there for the taking. Uh, and again, as I noted with podcasts, if you are uh, watching this on video and you prefer podcast format, uh, if you search for the Transition to RIA podcast uh, on all major podcasting platforms, you can find that as well. Uh, again, transitiontoria.com has all of the resources. Uh, okay, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, either you already have your own RA or you are or you're thinking about transitioning to become your own RA and you're mapping out that, that kind of future and what the structure of your firm is going to look like. And so the question is, how can I generate the highest income with an RIA? So that's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode. I have five kind of topics I want to go over. This is this is not going to be an exhaustive list of any and every way you, you possibly could, could manage an RIA. Uh, there's plenty of practice management uh, experts out there that, that uh, will get far, much farther in the weeds on some of these topics than, the, than, than I will here. Um, but I do want to talk about five things because, again, whether you have your RA and you're trying to refine your process now, or again, uh, which is a lot of my audience, you are thinking about becoming an RA, well, it's much easier to, to kind of build things out from the start with some of these things in mind, of, again, of how to generate that highest amount of income for your RA. So at a high level, if, if, if our goal is to increase our income, which could kind of be defined two different ways. Is it just total dollar amount in income we're trying to increase? And or is it our profit margin for every dollar revenue comes in, how much of that actually flows to the bottom line of income uh, that we're trying to increase? And, and ideally, you, you pursue both of those. And you say, okay, well, how can we have the, the, the most maximum uh, profit margin we can? And then, and then how do we increase the size of the pie as well? Uh, so that that bottom line dollar amount will, will uh, increase as well. So just, just keep that in mind. And that, that's kind of the main focus of this episode is Okay, if we're going to increase uh, income, we have to do one of two things, and ideally both of those. One, we have to increase revenues somehow. So I'm going to touch on a few topics there, uh, and or decrease expenses uh, in in some fashion. Again, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of topics there as well. Uh, so the first one we'll jump in with increase in revenue, and there's there's two kind of just topics I want to talk about on today's episode on this. Again, not an exhaustive list of all the different ways you could grow your firm, um, but these are maybe some of the more unconventional things that people don't think about that I think are important to be able to grow your revenues, which again, that's a big part of the equation to increase in profits is to grow your revenue. So the first one is to outsource where you can. And, and so what I mean by this is, as you look at your practice or your future practice, Ask yourself, what are the non-client-facing tasks uh, that have to be done or the non-value-adding tasks? So those are tasks that, that have to be done, but your client doesn't perceive as some sort of value-add because it's something happening in the background. It's, a, it's an operational task. Your client maybe doesn't even realize it's occurring, but it is a necessary part of running your own firm. So of those tasks, again, non-client-facing, can you outsource those to someone else that can do it 
better for you, uh, arguably cheaper for you. Um, and, and, and one of the main reasons you want to consider that you say, okay, well, I, I don't mind doing some of these things, or I could have team members do some of these things. But the, the reality is there's a lot of commoditized parts of running a modern day advisory firm. And again, a lot of that is not client facing is not arguably value add to the client. It's value add to you. You have to do those tasks to keep the lights on, keep the, keep the firm running. Um, but the, the reality is because they're commoditized, your, your efforts, your team's efforts are not really doing those better arguably than someone else could do if you were to outsource it to them and do it on your behalf. And so you might say, well, why outsource? Why shouldn't I just do it myself? But the, the reality is because if you outsource, that frees up your time to spend more time on business development efforts that spends more time on uh, working with existing clients, which will hopefully lead to more referrals. And so again, if it's you or your team and you're not adding value to the client directly or, or value that they perceive, you're better off outsourcing that. And, I, and I'll get into kind of how that's done uh, to someone else. And so the, the example, and you, and you might think, well, yeah, but if I outsource, I have to pay someone to do that. And, and is that going to be more expensive than, than me just doing it myself? And uh, an example I'd give, just a, just a general generic example is, let's say you have a million dollars in fee revenue coming in. That's the size of your practice. And, and because of how you've structured it, maybe you've, you've structured it pretty efficiently uh, and, and you're getting 70% margins um, from that top line, every dollar that comes in. And, and you say, well, if I outsource, I'm going to have to pay someone to do some of these tasks. But, but the reality is, but if you outsource, if that would free up your time to grow your firm more, won't you be better off even if your profit margins are lower? So the example would be if you're if you're generating a million in fee revenue now and getting a 70% margin, well, would you rather have that scenario or would you rather have a $2 million firm that gets 60% margins? Because again, maybe you're outsourcing those costs there. So you say, well, my profit margins are down, but if that allows you, by outsourcing those tasks, allows you to grow your firm faster because you can spend more time in business development, fostering existing relationships, looking for referrals, those kinds of things, and you can grow your firm faster. Is it not better to have a $2 million firm with 60% profit margins than a $1 million firm with 70% profit margins? So again, don't get caught up by just the sheer cost alone and say, well, if I outsource, I have to pay for that. Yes, you do have to pay for it. Now, in many cases, they can do it maybe more efficiently than you could even do yourself with your own team. But even if it was a net kind of cost to you, if that enables you to grow your firm faster, are you not better off when you can increase the entire pie much larger than you can uh, maybe having to try to do everything yourself in-house. And, and so the question is, well, what, how does this work or who are these providers? So there's, there's kind of no universal term for these kind of outsourcers for, for lack of a better term. So uh, sometimes they're often referred to as middle back office firms. So those are firms that say, hey, you go start your own RIA. Uh, you do all the client face and value add tasks you basically outsource to us all the commoditized tasks behind the scenes. We do those for you, freeing up your time for the reasons I just talked about why that's beneficial to you. So uh, that absolutely exists. There are providers out there that do that. And then you can even take it a step farther. There are RIA solutions that you can even plug into that will say, hey, not only will we do everything these, these kind of middle back office firms do, we'll also take it farther and do the compliance for your firm as well. So you don't have to be responsible for that, uh, freeing up even more of your time. So as to which one of those might be best for you, every advisor situation is different. There's no single answer. So that's part of what I help advisors do is to understand, okay, what is it you're trying to accomplish? What, what is your strengths? What are the things you, you would rather not be doing yourself? And which of these providers might be best for you? So know that these uh, providers exist. 
again, often referred to as middle back office providers. Um, there are TAMPs out there now that do much more than just pure money management. They do a lot of additional uh, tasks and resources for the RAs that they service. So that's a way to outsource as well. So just know that there are providers out there if that's something you want to explore. Uh, and just the, the ex kind of an extreme example I would give, uh, there is a story, and I forgot I should have looked it up to see the exact numbers or, or whatever the case was, but uh, there's an advisor that had over a billion with a B in assets uh, that, that significantly outsourced as much as possible and I can't remember if it was just him or at best, it was him and maybe one other team member, maybe. And, and, if, and if that, it was at most one and had a billion dollar practice because he believed in outsourcing anywhere he wasn't adding value. So that was all the middle back office tasks. That was the managing the money itself. Every Everything he could outsource, he did and he concentrated just on the clients. Now, were his profit margins as good as some other firms' profit margins? No, because he was outsourcing, paying someone else to do all these tasks. But as a result, he was able to grow his firm to over a billion in assets with this incredibly small footprint directly on his team. So just know that it that it absolutely is possible. Again, that's kind of an extreme example. Um, but you want to think about these ahead of time. I, I, was, I was on a Zoom call uh, uh, just a couple of days ago, and uh, I was telling this story in a, uh, an advisor or team uh, who's about maybe a third of the size of, of, of this billion dollars. And, and they were saying, wow, we wish we wish we had maybe done that early in our career so that, that we could have had that faster growth by not doing all these things ourselves." And so I reminded them, I said, well, you, you still have a lot of runway left in your career. So this, this, you haven't missed the boat. Yes, it might have been nice to do it from the very beginning like this, this gentleman did that grew to a billion. But just know that these solutions exist. Know that the idea is that they free up your time to focus on the things that will help you grow your firm faster. So again, a way to increase revenues is to actually outsource tasks that are not directly leading to you growing the firm. Uh, so the next kind of component uh, of talking about how to grow revenues is, is marketing or business development. And so there's plenty of marketing people that are way smarter on this topic than I am that could give you all kinds of great uh, tips uh, on, on how to do things. But I, at a macro level, there's something I wanted to point out Again, for either if you're an existing RA now or if you're thinking about transitioning to the model to make sure to not overlook, because again, the more business development, marketing, whatever term you want to use, uh, you can do to grow your firm will again help you increase revenues and, and then eventually that flows to the bottom line in, in income. So uh, the analogy I give on this is imagine you are in a one-on-one -on -one basketball game. So it's you and one other person, there you guys are, one-on-one -on -one basketball game and for whatever the reasons, your opponent decides to voluntarily uh, tie one of his arms behind his back. And so he's going to play, he or she's going to play uh, with one arm tied behind their back uh, because they voluntarily did that on their own. There's no reason you need to reciprocate. Uh, and so there you are with two arms. So you have an advantage over that person. Now, I would ask you, if you're in that situation, would you just voluntarily tie your own hand behind your back? Or would you say, hey... This is how basketball works. This is what's available to me. I have both arms. If you choose to tie one arm behind your back, I I'm, I'm going to play as best as I can. Uh, so th that analogy is what I see a lot in the RA space. So what I mean by that is if you are an RIA or again, you, you plan to become an RA, you will have much more flexibility and advantages from a business development standpoint over the tens of thousands of, of advisors in the, the kind of traditional wirehouse type model. And, and the, what I mean by that is 
in the wirehouse model, trying to do things like make videos, do podcasts, write articles in, in, uh, in industry or periodicals, um, do email marketing, all kinds of things that are either not allowed or it's so onerous to get approved and it's so slow and you got to do things this this old legacy style way of doing it that they, they, they just don't do it. And then you have RIAs that can do all of that. But yet, interesting, a lot of RIAs have that flexibility but are not taking advantage of it. They are choosing and that. So, so you, can, you can extrapolate my analogy. That wirehouse advisor has one arm tied behind their back. There's a whole lot of things they can't do that, that the RIA advisor can do, but many RAs are not taking advantage of that. So what I would encourage you to do is if you're an RA now or becoming one is to say, hey, what, what are things I can do out there from a business development standpoint that a lot of my competition, tens of thousands of advisors cannot do, and yet I can do and, and make sure you take advantage of that. And there are a lot of folks that just don't take advantage of it when it is available, when it's an unfair advantage they have over the competition or, or a lot of their competition uh, to be able to do. And, and so another, I'm, I'm big on analogies. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. Many of you are, are quite familiar with that. So if you recall, uh, when Morgan Freeman's character Red gets, gets released out of jail uh, and he goes and, he, and he's working in a grocery store and he wants to go to the bathroom and he struggles because for you know 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it was, he was in, in the prison. Uh, he had to ask permission to go to the bathroom. And so he's so ingrained of, of, of having these limitations that he struggles to go to the bathroom without asking someone to go to the bathroom. So he's asking his boss at the grocery store, hey, can I, can I go to the bathroom? And the boss has to remind him, you don't have to ask permission, just go to the bathroom. That is something you will experience as an advisor. If you are in that wirehouse world, perhaps your entire career, and all of a sudden you go into the RIA world, it is this weird transition where you are so used to not being able to do things that all of a sudden you, you, you either forget or it'll just seem unnatural at first to be like, oh, I someone wants me to be a guest on their podcast. Okay, I will be a guest on their podcast. I don't have to ask permission. I don't have to be told no. I don't have to submit a script ahead of time, whatever the case is. And, and it will be this kind of weird uh, I call it the Shawshank example of, of, a, of a transitionary period. Now, don't get me wrong. You will quickly get over that after you kind of go through a couple of cycles of that. And it's a very refreshing feeling of, wow, I do have this flexibility, but don't let yourself get trapped and just saying over 20 years, I haven't been allowed to do all these things or it's been so difficult. I haven't even bothered. All of a sudden, if that's available to you, take advantage of it. That will help you grow your firm in ways that a lot of your competition doesn't even have available to them. So at a, at a high level from that, that market and business development, when you, when you hear these market experts give a lot of tips and suggestions, just know in that RIA space, you typically will have the most flexibility of any affiliation model to pursue some of these strategies. Just make sure you take advantage of it. Again, a lot of folks, it's not even an option. So again, I, I encourage you to do that. It's a way to increase uh, your business development efforts, hopefully increase your revenue as a result. Okay, now we're going to shift in. And again, this is not an exhaustive list. That's not by any means every possible way to increase your revenues. But I did want to want to give a couple uh, ideas on, on each of these topics. So now we're going to shift over to decreasing expenses. So again, the more revenue you can make, well, the, the lower your expenses, the, the more profit you're going to have at the bottom line. So there's, there's kind of three main chunks of expenses uh, involved in a run-in RA that I'm going to talk about here. And this is, again, not an exhaustive list. These are just three of the biggest ones. And I want you to kind of think about how you could you could kind of work through them. So they are 
real estate, the cost of having an office, uh, your staff, your, your team members. Uh, and then the last one is, is money management. So to, to the degree you outsource money management to, uh, to a third party solution, um, that could be a big cost uh, or in, in the, the overall cost structure uh, of the fee you're charging. Um, and, and there are strategies, if you're managing money yourself, there's strategies of how to maybe make that more efficient. I'm not going to dive too much into that on this episode. Uh, we're talking more about that kind of outsource and money management. Uh, so the first of those three is, is real estate. So, uh, and, and by the way, COVID has changed everything when it comes to expectations with real estate, expectations from both your clients, expectations from your team members, expectations from uh, yourself is what, uh, what is necessary to run a, an advisory practice. And so just know that whatever you thought pre-COVID about what is mandatory to have from an office perspective, the entire world has changed, of course. We are now in a world with Zoom calls as a common day place uh, and, 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 and virtual settings and all kinds of things. Uh, and I actually saw a survey just the other day. Um, I should have I should have came prepared and, and explained what the survey was or who who put it out. But the 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 takeaway from it was that there's now a, a majority of advisors now say uh, that their clients would rather meet uh, not in an office than than the office. And so there was a time that most clients, the over over more than fifty percent, said, "Oh yeah, hey advisor, if we're going to meet, we want to meet in the office." Well, clients have now got used to whether it's talking on the phone or doing Zoom calls or whatever is more efficient, more helpful for the client, that now this survey uh, showed that more than 50% of investor clients prefer things like Zoom and phone calls and whatnot, as opposed to having to drive down to the office. Now, it wasn't 100%. So in some instances, it still will be helpful to have an office. I'm going to give examples. Uh, but just know that that tide, of course, has shifted. COVID has changed everything with respect to what is possible. Uh, now, here's the thing with real estate. Here's the dirty little secret with real estate, uh, particularly, again, if you're not already in the RA space, if you are at like a wirehouse firm, a W-2 type firm uh, where an office space is provided for you, here's the dirty little secret. Real estate should be a fixed expense for you, not a variable expense. And so what I mean by that is if you are at that wirehouse world, uh, you are receiving all kinds of services in the wirehouse. You're receiving uh, compliance for better or worse. You're receiving technology. Uh, you're receiving maybe some team members. You're receiving an office, and it might be a nice office. Um, and for that, you are, you're of course, paying for that. And how you pay for it is in the payout. It's the inverse of your payout. I rant about that a lot in episodes and articles. So every dollar that comes in, your firm is retaining maybe 60% of that and giving you 40%. So that 60% is what is covering those services that they are providing for you. So one of those services is an office, but the, the, the dirty secret with that approach is as your revenue goes up, if you're doing strategies, like I'm talking about trying to increase revenue uh, or the market's going up or you're, you're having good success bringing on new clients, as your, your fees and commissions go up, well, so does the payout retention that your firm is keeping. And so part of that payout retention, among other things, we won't dive into all of them, is to cover your office expense. So as you bring on more clients, as you grow client accounts larger, the firm is retaining more revenue as a result of it, but yet your office doesn't really change. So the example would be, let's say extreme example, let's say you double your fees and commissions from one year and a couple of years later, you've, you've since doubled that, where well, you are contributing twice as much now into that slice that covers office space for you 
But yet, do you have, did they give you an office that is twice as big? Did they give you a conference room that is now twice as big? No, they, they don't at all. So you, you are paying, if you're in that environment, for office space on this variable component that the larger you grow with the idea being that you should be growing over time. So you keep contributing more the larger you get to office space, even though likely your footprint is not changing at all. So the, 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 what you need to be doing is you need to say, how can I make office uh, expense a fixed expense? So if you go in that independent route, if you go down, have your own independent RA practice, you cover the fixed expense and the, and the benefit is once you exceed that fixed cost every year, every dollar in, in, in revenue that comes in above that is incrementally more profitable because that, that cost does not just keep going up like it does in the variable nature uh, in the wirehouse world. So just something to keep in mind, if it, that's one of the biggest expenses of running vice practice at office space. If you're paying for it on a variable basis, you, you are not at all getting, as they say, the operated leverage benefit that you can in that RA space. So you wanna make it a fixed expense. Uh, now with that, uh, the world has changed again because of COVID. So I wanna give just a couple examples of what I'm seeing out there in the marketplace of ways to decrease that, that expense even further. Uh, there is no one answer. Some advisors will prefer one approach over the other. So I just wanna give you a couple examples of what I'm seeing out there. Uh, so the first one, uh, there are increasing number of RAs that are going fully virtual, right? So they don't even have an office footprint. They they maybe had one at one point, COVID uh, prevented that for a year, two years, whatever the cases, clients got used to maybe not coming in. And uh, there, are, there are firms that are saying, hey, you know what, we actually don't even need an office space because all of our clients want to meet virtual or maybe we'll go to the client or we'll meet in some kind of third, third party location. Um, and so we don't even need an office footprint. So that, that's the kind of most extreme example, but you can imagine if you could eliminate that cost altogether, how much that helps your your, your profitability level. And there are a lot of RAs doing that. And this is not just, you say, oh, that's just some startup RIA that's that doesn't have any clients yet and they're starting virtual. And, and that does happen. There's a lot that are doing it virtual and they're making it work. Uh, but there are a lot that, that are they're transitioning the model and, and rethinking, do I need this fancy office space? Um, and again, some are, to the extreme example are going fully virtual. And, and you might be skeptical again. You might say, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't work. But let me give you the example of and, and this is not, not my example. You, you, you hear this floating around a lot uh, by different sources uh, or some variation of this. And so the example would be you think, oh, I need a, an office footprint to, to, get my, to get maybe a new client. So imagine you are kind of a general practitioner advisor there in town and there's a dentist and, and that, that you would like to uh, earn their business and have them become a client of yours. And, and you do have this nice office and, and it is you know, a good showcase of who you are and, and you're trying to gain the, the, uh, the dentist business. Uh, and so you, you're giving your value proposition to the dentist. Well, then it turns out the dentist learns about you, but also learns about maybe three states away. So much, they're not going to go see that person in person, that there's an advisor that solely focuses on dentists. Their entire practice is to serve the needs of dentists and, and the, the different advice that a dentist would need. Uh, but they are 100% virtual, which, by the way, is good because your the, the local dentist is not going to drive three states over to see them. Who do you think that that client might gravitate towards? The person that's solely focused on dentists, or or you, even though you have the advantage the advantage perhaps of of that office space. Um, arguably, that person is going to go to the, the the niche provider. So that is, of course, a pitch you, you you hear it over and over again that oh, you should specialize, you should have a niche. But just know that 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 is an example of where. Uh, it's very easy for clients to look past maybe lack of a office footprint. If you think, oh, it can't be done, 
if if your your value proposition is so compelling to that particular advisor, it's actually better for them to maybe go multiple states away virtually to work with an advisor than than have someone local there um, on the ground. So uh, fully virtual is one one approach. Then there are also next uh, there are also um, advisors that are rethinking the traditional office footprint. And so you might have traditionally thought, well, if I break away and I'm going to start my own RIA and I, so I need an office and I maybe I need a conference room and I need maybe five offices because of the amount of members of our team, whatever the case is, there's, there's uh, a lot of folks are rethinking that and say, Hey, maybe we can do kind of a half and half. We we're already meeting with a lot, if not most of our clients virtually, but, but Hey, maybe we do want that office footprint to a degree. We do have some clients that want to meet in person. Uh, maybe you do feel comfortable that, that talking to new clients initially that, that you want to bring them in for a face-to-face. And so their advisors kind of taking a hybrid approach and say, hey, we're going to set up and be able to do a lot virtual, but we're also going to have a, a footprint, but that footprint's going to be smaller than it, than it would have been had we been doing this five, 10 years ago. So maybe we do have a conference room, but maybe we only need two offices and those will kind of be floater offices for whichever team members or advisors uh, need to use them on any particular day. And so as a result, we can maybe have half the square footage of an office space than, than we once thought we needed to, again, lower in expenses as a result of that. Uh, so that's one way to do it. Uh, and then the third way I'd say is just get get creative. So I'll give you two two quick examples on this. Again, with COVID, every, everything's changed. You can get creative on this. So uh, there's an advisor team I'm talking to, I've been working with for a while that what their envision is right now, they are meeting with clients either virtually, they, they haven't broken away yet, but with COVID and everything, uh, either virtually, or when they do meet with clients, uh, the advisors themselves are members of a social club there in town. It's a very nice social club that you have to, you know, I don't know what the exact amount is, but let's say it's $10,000, $20,000 a year kind of to be a member of this club. You get nice facilities. I don't know if there's like maybe even a golf course attached to it. And so that was something the advisors were doing anyways, is being a member of this social club. And so because it's a nice facility, they would often ask their clients, hey, if, if, if you want to meet up, let's meet up at the social club. Uh, and, and we'll we'll do our business there. And then to the degree that, that maybe a little more privacy is needed, they actually have rooms, facilities in the social club that, that the members, in this case, the advisors, could reserve and use that as a place to meet with clients. So, so this team is pondering to say, hey, if we were to break away, maybe we don't need an office space at all because we'll either do it virtually, uh, again, by call, by Zoom or other cases, or if and when the clients want to meet, we'll just use the nice facilities at the social club, which by the way, we're already members of anyways, we're already spending the money on anyways. Uh, and, and that's where our clients like meeting us. So we'll just do that and we won't even need an office footprint. So again, you can be creative in, in how you want to do this because the world has changed with COVID. Uh, and then the other just quick example, I'll talk about the real estate. Uh, and I think this trend is going to continue uh, is, is I call it the, uh, the snowbird arbitrage. So a typical example is uh, an advisor perhaps in the Northeast uh, that more and more of their clients are gravitating down to Florida. That's where I am. A lot of, of folks head south as they, as they maybe get older, whatever the case is. And so the advisor themselves uh, in many cases is now maybe has a, has a home in, in Florida as well and, and spending some of the time there. And so some of those advisors are pondering, well, if I were to break away and now I need uh, some sort of maybe physical location, again, if they do want that, maybe it's a scaled down version, well, as opposed to maybe being in uh, like a New York where it's more expensive to uh, to live with property tax and everything, maybe I'll make sure that I'm in Florida for uh, a half of the year plus plus a day, as they say. Uh, I'll set up my my more modest office size here. 
Uh, so what I can decrease my real estate expenses just by doing that, decrease my property taxes, maybe state taxes, whatever the case is. Um, and then if and when my clients were either meeting virtually, they're already in Florida themselves, or I can occasionally go back up and visit with them, uh, you know, perhaps in New York, if that's the case. And, and I think there's a lot of uh, advisors that are at large wireless firms that have kind of been able to get away with that a little bit through COVID because the regulators have been a little less or a little more flexible on, on uh, location supervision. I think that's going to get tightened back up. And so those options are going to kind of go away to a degree if you're still at a firm. But if you leave and start your own independent firm, you absolutely could set up like that. And, it, and it's definitely a way to save on real estate costs and your, your overall costs as well. Okay, moving on. Again, I got two more things for how to reduce expenses. So uh, the next one is on staff. So staff is, is typically a large expense of running their own independent practice. Uh, and this comes back to the outsource. And I talked about uh, at the top where outsource where you can. So the question is, do you need as big of a staff as you might be envisioning? Because if you can outsource a lot of those tasks, you don't have to have the, staff, the team members directly uh, right there in the office with you. Now, again, you might want to separate those by saying, hey, what is client facing? So it might be important to you, and I would understand that maybe you want that friendly face on your team member that sits there and welcomes any client or prospective client when they walk into the office. And, and that's important to you. And I can totally understand that. So you might not want to try to outsource that sort of role. But but how many roles are behind the scenes that you could outsource, like I talked about at the top of the episode? And, and a, a couple of components to that. Think about your either staff now, if you're, if you're already independent or if, if you're going to go that path is, will you keep them busy 100% of the time? So uh, that, that's typically hard to do because you don't know when you're going to have people out or when some days are more busy than other days. So your staff might only be running at say 70, 80% of capacity at any given point, which is just not efficient because you were paying them for 100% work. And maybe there's only a need or an ability to do 70, 80% or whatever number you want to use of that. So the idea is if you outsource, the outsourcer can say, hey, we can fill the our team members behind the scenes here because they might be spending a third of their day working on the task of this RA and a third of their day working on tasks of another RA and a third of the day over here. And they can, they can make sure that there's enough tasks to be done to fill that one particular person's plate. That's much harder to do on your own is to, is to run at full capacity. So again, where you, where you can outsource and lower your footprint of team members directly, that's going to save you money in the long run because it'll be, again, it'll be more efficient, essentially workforce that you have available to you. Um, other examples with that though, if you have the larger your team, the more chance you have to deal with turnover. Uh, turnover is a, is a fact of life for any business. It will happen eventually. Uh, that you will lose people, even outsourcing firms will lose people. But if you outsource, again, a lot of those non-value add, non-client face tests to someone else, that's their problem to worry about. If there's turnover, they have to go out there and find talent. They have to train those people. They have to get them acclimated. You don't have to worry about that. Again, the less you're worrying about on things like that, the less you're dealing with maybe staff turnover, whatever the case is, the more time you can be out there working on value add tasks that will help you grow your firm. Again, a benefit of outsourcing. Uh, you also see it with things like vacation days, particularly if you have a smaller uh, staff or team, maybe you have three, four, five people. Well, if one's out, uh, maybe the others can't be out because they need to be there for coverage reasons. Next thing you know, you're, you're dealing with all those kinds of issues. Again, to the degree you outsource tasks, that's their problem to worry about, their problem to make sure that coverage is there. You don't really care as long as the tasks are being done, whether one of the team members is out on vacation, the others are covering it. Again, that's, that's someone else's problem to worry about. So again, just ask yourself if something's not client facing, 
where we're not adding value in the sense of that the client sees it as adding value, should we outsource that to someone else and free up our time to do more productive things to help grow the firm? So again, to the degree you can decrease your, your direct staff, that's a way to decrease expenses. Uh, and, then, and then the last item for this episode is, again, money management. So this is for those of you that, that say, hey, part of my value proposition is, is not to do the money management itself. I rely on third party, whether it's SMA managers or models or whatever the case may be. And uh, there's a reason for that because you like focusing on maybe the financial planning or the interaction with the clients. You say, hey, okay, I outsource that to someone else. So there's oftentimes, for those of you not already in the RA space, a meaningful chance to, to uh, increase your, your profitability by making a change. So the example I'll give is, let's say, this is just very simple numbers. Let's say you are charging your clients a 1% fee for the, the services that you provide, and you are using a third-party uh, manager, maybe an SMA manager, and that manager is, uh, again, simple numbers here, 50 basis points for the money management. So all into the client, the client is paying 1.5%. Now, Mentally, you think, well, I, I'm getting 1% of that. The manager's getting a 0.5% of that. The, the client doesn't care. All the client knows is they are paying 1.5% and they are getting uh, a certain services and value from you in return. They don't care who gets what portion of the pie. And to the degree they're paying it, they're, they're hopefully satisfied. Okay, the 1.5% I'm paying is worth the value I'm getting in return. So if you're in a kind of a captive situation, you likely have limited options of money management solutions to use. And so again, in this simple example, maybe the, the kind of money managers you, you would like to use are only available and it's 50 basis points and that's what's available to you. If you break away and go into the RA space, you have the whole universe of options available to you. Different TAMP providers, different money management solutions, different uh, maybe model marketplaces, whatever the case is. And so the, the thing to think about is, okay, my client already is comfortable paying 1.5% for everything they receive in return. If I go into the RA space, there's no reason I can't continue to charge my client 1.5%. Again, this is just an easy example. Um, and if I can find a way to offer the money management piece for less than, I'm, than I'm, it's currently essentially costing you as the advisor provided that 50 basis points, let's say you can find, because you have much more options available to you in that RA space, for 25 basis points, all of a sudden that 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 delta, that other 25 basis points you just reduced, that can that can go in your pocket. Now, of course, you you could have the option of passing that along some or all to the client, but if the client is comfortable, again in this example, paying 1.5% for everything they're receiving, if you can replicate that just as well, but do so at a lower cost structure for you, you can find maybe even the same money management solution for less money or, or a different type of money management solution for less than you're able to access now, maybe in your current uh, wirehouse type situation, well, that savings can flow right to your profitability. So, so don't, don't think of it as, well, it's only my 1%. No, it, the client's paying 1.5. The client's uh, hopefully content with paying 1.5. If you can lower the cost structure of what it takes to deliver the services they are receiving for that 1.5, that can flow to you and increase profitability. So think about that from a money management perspective. If you, if you believe in outsourcing, the question to ask yourself is, are there, are there more efficient, less expensive ways I could do it if I was in the RIA space? Uh, and again, that's the sort of thing, of course, I help advisors with is understand, hey, what do you have now? How would you replicate it in the RA space? And what would that look like? And could that be to your advantage? So just know that that's a, a meaningful way for some advisors uh, to increase their profitability uh, as well. 
So uh, to wrap up, I would just remind you, uh, and, and by the way, again, this was not an exhaustive list. This was trying to identify some, some of the key pieces of how to increase revenues, how to decrease uh, expenses uh, that, are, that are more flexible, more available to you in the RA space. And just know that the, the RA space is, is, a, is a scale game. So the larger the practice you, you, you have, uh, the better your economics are going to get. So for instance, because if you've got to the point where your, your real estate is a fixed cost, well, the, 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 the larger you grow your practice above covering that fixed expense, the better the profitability gets. So it's a, it's a scale game uh, as well. The more you can outsource to someone else and you can grow your firm again, that's going to increase your revenues, increase your profitability. So always be asking yourself, how can I grow my firm faster? How can I decrease my expenses and for those of you that are in kind of a captive environment now, that that is all going to be generally pretty limited to you because it, it for better or worse, certain things are provided for you. Take it or leave it. That's the cost structure in the RA space. You have way more flexibility uh, to, to look at the different options out there and say, is there a better way to do this? Uh, and, and hopefully for cheaper. Uh, and if there is, that absolutely could be a financial benefit uh, to you. So, again, that's the sort of thing I hope. Uh, advisors with this discoverers to say, hey, what's your situation now? What would your practice look like in the RA space? Does this make sense to be exploring? If it does, how does it work? What options do you have available to you? And how do you make the transition to it? Again, something I help advisors with, happy to have that conversation with you as well. So if you're not already there, like I said, head on over to transition to RIA.com. You can find all of these episodes in video format, podcast format. Again, I write articles, uh, I have white papers, uh, but the most uh, effective thing to do is at the top of every page is a contact link. Uh, just click on that. You can instantly and easily schedule time to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me. Uh, we can talk about today's subject or anything else RIA related you would like to talk about. Again, transition to RIA.com. And with that, I hope you found value on today's episode and I'll see you on the next one.